1: Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. Just visit PrizePicks.com/play100 and use code Play100. That's code Play100 at slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. Walk
2: the dogs, school drop-off meetings from ten to three. Take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com.
3: Hello, this is international football commentator
1: Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast.
0: Hello Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and I have to pre-warn you Rank Squad The next week we are going to be starting with a poem. So you need to you know, roll yourselves oh. back up. It's been a long time but the poems are back from next week. Um, it's a very special Why one. did they and-
3: disappear mate? What happened? Did you have, to have like writer's block?
0: Yeah, basically, you know, when you're writing (laughs) when you're writing at this consistent quality, you start to you start to worry about what you're uh, what you're putting out there. And I was starting to worry that the quality was dipping, but I'm I feel freed from those constraints, from those shackles. And next week, we're going to be back in full poem mode. Um, So here's two men that I know are incredibly excited about that. our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, our rank
4: God, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you. I've uh, never suffered from writer's block myself, so I'm not sure your quality argument checks out, but uh, give you the benefit of the doubt, eh? You've
0: just been away for
4: a month. I don't have writer's block. That's, yeah, that's, that's because the you've just taken a holiday. Away. You've just mm. taken a I'm holiday. It's
0: freed up for the constraints and the shackles of, of working every week, mate. Uh, I'm about yeah. to say my first holiday in about two and a half years and I can't wait for it. So we're, <laughs> we're, it's going to be fun. Um, we'll see how we go. Right, let's get on with things we love because today in general, we're going to be talking about disappointments for the season, which means that this episode has a slightly negative tinge to it. I want to start <laughs> this off on a positive note. And Dean, why don't you kick us off this week?
3: Yeah, Okay. well, this is something to love for sure. It's AC Milan. Um, They are on the verge of winning the Scudetto. Um, And at the weekend, Teo Hernandez scored an absolute wonder goal as they won 2-0. He literally ran from one end of the pitch to the other, veering around people like he was in a computer game. It was absolutely ridiculous how he was able to do it. Uh, A very strange goal, but a brilliant one too. It sent the fans inside the San Siro into orbit, they are now on the verge of winning the league. They play at Sassuolo on Sunday. And they're looking to win the title for the first time in 11 years. Man United fans, don't give up hope. You might be like AC Milan. You never know. Um, So what happens now is they go to Sassuolo looking to win this title. Obviously, tickets are at a premium. 90,000 people were in the queue for a ticket when they went on sale online, and these were home tickets. They're not even away tickets. I think we might be seeing a situation here where the stadium is just full of Milan fans. Um, they tried to like stop away fans from getting in the home sections. They're like, um, they're like saying all colours are banned. Like you're not allowed to wear your shirts. You're not allowed to scarves. You're not allowed to flags. But good luck with that. Um, this is a moment that. Every Milan fan wants to see in person. The um, stadium has a capacity on Sunday of about 21,500 and 18,000, I think, go on sale after like sponsors and stuff. Look, people want to be there. It's been such a good ride. Like, even for us, like I'm not even a Milan fan. Um, so, and I've loved watching this. Like, the team growing under Pioli, Teo is great, like, Frank Kessie, so good. Tonali delivering these dream moments. Rafael Liao becoming a superstar? I'm not sure I'm Mm. even exaggerating there. I think he might be a superstar now, Rafael Liao. I don't think so. I think you're absolutely spot on.
4: Look, Um. The thing
3: is, if things go wrong for AC Milan, there's still going to be a party in Milan on Sunday night because it means that Inter Milan will have retained their title and there will still be mad scenes. They've sold out their game against Sampdoria. We'll go into much more detail on the title race, and both those games on Patreon on Friday. So if you're not already with us over there, come and join us. It's a 5 a month. You get your two extra episodes. We're going to carry that on through the summer too. Um, But yeah, on Patreon, we'll go into some proper detail on on both Milan clubs, I'm sure, on Friday. So come and subscribe. But otherwise, yeah, Sunday evening, Milan. Wow. It's a place to be.
0: Well, it's going to be be an interesting Friday episode because we're going to be talking, you know, the title races in... In Italy and in England, of course, but also those European races um, that are going on across the continent. In Spain, that last battle for the, uh, the spots in terms of uh, getting into the Conference League. We're seeing yep. something similar in Italy with the Europa League Conference League spots. Uh, and, of course, in England are, are those ones. But then there's the relegation battles uh, and in France where the Champions League spots aren't finished yet. So lots to discuss um, when we're looking towards and this weekend on Friday. the Portuguese Cup final and the Portuguese Cup final, which we we'll are going be to be at. We'll be there. we will be at. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, there's going to be a massive party in Milan, as you say, on Sunday night, but I'm pretty sure the second biggest party in the land um, is going to be in Lisbon, or, or just outside of Lisbon, in Oeiras, in uh, on Sunday. So we'll see who lifts
4: the Portuguese Cup as well. And, and with that, Sam, I think we should cut over to you. <laughs> yeah, OK. Well, I mean, I wanted to start with a very quick shout out to Stuttgart, whose you know, last-minute madness in the Bundesliga at the weekend meant that they were able to avoid the relegation playoff and they saw Hertha Berlin slipping into it instead. But we did talk about that on Monday's Postbox on Patreon, so covered that. And I'm going to talk about the Premier League here. Arsenal fans on Monday night were some variation of stunned, uh, gutted, distraught, and angry, I think, as they lost to Newcastle United. Those were the the four emotions I saw most regularly on my Twitter timeline, as they probably forfeited fourth place in the Premier League to Tottenham Hotspur. Now I understand why the post-match discussion has taken the shape that it has and it's gone the way that it's gone. Arsenal tends to be overreaction central, and you know, the discussion over their quote-unquote failure has been has been pretty pretty wide. I just feel obliged to mention the other side of the story here, which is that Newcastle United turned up and played them off the park. And they were incredible. And the thing I love, really, is the blonde-haired Brazilian midfield piston pairing of Big Joel and Bruno G. It's a terrible rap duo name, but if you stick them in midfield at St. James's Park, stick them in midfield at St. James's Park and they'll absolutely run the show. I mean, Joel Linton has been... In midfield now for, what, like five, six months? It, you know, he got moved there before Christmas by, by Eddie Howe, and he's been excellent the entire time. Now that Bruno Guimaraes has, has settled into Premier League life, he's exactly as good as we thought he was, and he's put this to run together of starts. He's scored a few really good and important goals. He's every bit the player we were hoping he would be. And as a duo, they are brilliant. They've got this great mix of physicality and tenacity. They're both progressive passers, both progressive dribblers, and they both score goals. They're so good. And like Joel Linton now kind of looks like a £40 million pound player. Finally, somehow, against all odds, he looks like a £40 million pound player. And Bruno, well, as a pair. Bruno is a £40 room, million
0: pound player. And he is was. the £40 million
4: pound player. <laughs> Absolutely. He hasn't needed three years and two position changes to get on uh, to, find his, to find his rhythm. But I'm just looking at this Newcastle side now, what Eddie Howe has built over the last five months or so. Obviously, they've spent a lot of money to change this around but with another summer of investment impending this team is shaping up to be a real problem for the others going into 2022 23 aren't
0: they yeah they they're really nicely balanced i think obviously there's still weaknesses in the side and they will be need to be addressed over the summer but you know you're looking at the kind of baseline here of what they can do and and i don't know about a changing of the guard yesterday because i think that there was things to be said for Arsenal look a little bit lost at the moment. They look like they took a real, you know, hammering, not only on in terms of scoreline in that Tottenham game, but also in terms of morale, you know, playing without a man down, 2-0 down for that amount of time and being battered constantly by what was a fizzing atmosphere, right, at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It's going to take its toll, especially on a young side. And then suddenly they've walked out into what was a cauldron at St. James's Park yesterday. And, you know, like you say, they were played off the park. You know, this wasn't a... You know, oh, Arsenal were unlucky to get beaten here. They were beaten by the better side, comfortably beaten by the better side. Um, and I think that look, there, there's some things to be said. If you'd offered an Arsenal fan fifth at the start of the season, they would have bitten your hand off for it. I think, in many ways, but given the circumstances, I think there's every right to be disappointed with how this has panned out. If you're four points clear with three games to play in the in in fourth in fourth you should be expecting genuinely to seal that spot, I think. And and that's fair enough. You can be both, I would have taken this and I'm disappointed with how this has panned out. But ultimately, yeah. they're still moving forward. It's still been a progressive season. Um, But you look at Newcastle and you think they've just, you know, really genuinely played an Arsenal side off the pitch. We've seen them, you know, go toe-to-toe recently with Liverpool and and come out the wrong side of it, sure, but you know, not by miles um, in in a relatively even contest. I'm not saying that Newcastle are going to be challenging the top two next season. don't even know if they're going to be challenging the top four. It's all about that consistency and finding that. But this team are shaping up and the way that they've moved forward in such a bound in one go. You look at the next summer and if that continues to, you know, be the case and the investment is correct, then you can see them definitely challenging the top six in this kind of form and and with the players they've brought in here and, you know, that, as you say, Sam, that
4: pairing in the middle looking as good as pretty much any in the league, it's it's pretty remarkable. Yep. And Trips as well. Trips, I saw him on the sideline uh, on Monday night. I haven't seen you for a while, Kieran. Um, they've got They've got players that they bought in January that immediately got injured and haven't even impacted in this run that we've forgotten about already and they're going to come back in and yeah, I think um, as you say with the right investment in the right places they are going to be quite a serious proposition and for Arsenal, you know, this is gutting of course it's still a step forward but it can still be gutting as you say but it only gets harder to qualify from the Champions League from here because Manchester United presumably fixed themselves or sort themselves out at some point in the next couple of years. And if Newcastle carry on the trajectory, it just got even busier. And there already aren't enough places to go around, are there?
0: Well, UEFA oh. are doing their best to, you know, change that. <laughs> giving the Premier <laughs> League an extra one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the less said about that, I think, the probably the better. So mm. um, we'll see how we go. But yeah, it, it's going to be very, very intriguing next season. Right, let's move on to what is happening this week as opposed to next season. And of course, it would only be right if I previewed the Europa League final, which will be taking place tonight as you are listening to this Wednesday night in Seville, Rangers of Scotland against Eintracht Frankfurt of Germany. And this is a hell of a game. And I think two teams here who most people had as... Relative long shots for this tournament. I know at one point, um, Rangers were 150 watts to one to win this trophy. Um, I think it was when they drew Borussia Dortmund in that first knockout draw um that's the way it looked and it did genuinely look kind of messy um for rangers they have overcome some brilliant teams not you know not least Dortmund and also RB Leipzig who were pretty much everybody's favorites for this tournament after Barcelona were knocked out of it by Frankfurt um but also they've come through some pretty tricky situations as well some extra time games and some late winners we've seen some, some some really Impressive feats of resistance from Rangers, especially at home. You cross over to Eintracht, who are unbeaten in the entire competition. They top their group. They have not lost in 90 minutes throughout the tournament. As you said, they knocked out the favourites, Barcelona, and they will go into this final as slight favourites, I think. Um, Not by huge amounts, um, but they edge it with the bookies in terms of who they think are going to win this tournament. It's a massive game, right? Um, and and for Rangers, their first European final in, in fourteen years. Eintracht's first European final for forty two years um, since they won this competition in nineteen eighty. Um, they've also been to a European final in nineteen sixty, um, which is the last time they were in the Champions League. On that run, they beat Rangers. Um, but if if Eintracht were to win here, it would mean it would it mean an end to their sixty two year wait to be back in the European Club slash Champions League, which is. Pretty nuts, frankly. Mm-hmm. That's a long, long time for a club of, of Frankfurt's stature. Um, we've seen some some interesting news coming out of the camps. of The Eintracht have nominated to wear their all-white third kits, um, which means the Rangers will be in their famous blue as well. Um, Frankfurt's um, basic sport spokesman, Axel Hellman, came out. Um, and this is via Derek Ray, our old friend, and the man at the top of this podcast. Um, He translated to say, Hellman said that we have rocked it in Europe wearing the white kit. We've been called La Bestia Blanca, the white beasts. So we simply have to play in white, uh, which I really, really did enjoy. Um, Look, you're seeing the descent of these two fan bases onto Seville already. Um, There seems to be just... A, a flood of, of blue and black and white descending uh, upon Seville. They, they, the square in the middle of the town has been given to Frankfurt and um The Rangers fans are going to be housed in the Cartuja, which is obviously the setting where Betis won the Copa del Rey a couple of weeks ago. Um, But yeah, it does feel like this is starting to cook quite nicely in the frying pan of Spain. Um, I'm not going to go into all the depth because uh, on our YouTube channel right now, I have put up UE Ultras, which is a full preview um, of the Europa League final. We're talking key battles. We're talking road to Seville. We're talking where this is won and lost, a couple of predictions, how it's going to play out. All of that is over on our YouTube channel. Just search Ranks FC on YouTube um, or UEltra's um, which is my favourite name of anything I've ever come up with I think uh, <laughs> for my what will be a 10 part series this season on all of the Europa League Well done Europe mate you've done a good thing. work you've done a good job on that It's been it's been a bit of a snog but um, yeah there's a full 10 minute <laughs> or more than 10 minute over 10 minute preview um, of the Europa League final up there now so go check that out uh, make sure that you have a look on our YouTube channel there's some interesting other stuff as well Sam and I did a live when Erling Haaland signed for Manchester City last week um, and there's going to be more on there across the summer as well so um yeah, lots to lots to see on the YouTube channel. But I'm really excited about the Europa League final. Um this is two you know, two big titans of Europe playing each other in a game that feels like it's kind of written out of the 1970s, isn't it? It's like one of those, you're like, oh, this happened. did this happen in the Cup Winners' Cup some years back? Because it feels (laughs) like it might have done. Um, Two absolutely vociferous fan bases. Whoever wins this, you can imagine the party is going to go on long into the Andalusian night. Um, It's going to be an incredible game of football. I'm expecting an entertaining
4: contest. I'm expecting goals. Um, Can't wait to see how it pans out. Yeah, me neither, buddy. Me neither. The combination of the best competition in world football for, the, for another season. How exciting, huh? How exciting. Although I think, to be fair, the Europa Conference League has given it a run for its money this
0: season. It has been all sorts of fun. Uh, right on that bombshell, we are going to move on to our main ranking, which is coming up after the break. Don't go anywhere.
2: Gotta walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer practice, then... There goes the extra time for a jog. (sighs) That's okay. Maybe next week. When everyone else relies on you, it's easy to put your needs last. Therapy is a dedicated time to focus on what you need to be happy, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. BetterHelp offers convenient online therapy on your schedule. It's the same professional service you'd get from an in person therapist, but with the option to communicate when and how you want by chat, phone, or video call. Go to their site and fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome
0: back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. Sam, over to you, Rank God.
4: Yeah, we're not usually like this, Jack. We're usually so positive and bubbly, aren't we? Always talking things up or we're seeing the brighter side of things. But uh, just for one week only, maybe uh, we need to take a look at some of the most disappointing things from this season as we kind of get to this end of season wrap up stage. But we're in a bit of an awkward spot. The competitions haven't quite finished yet. Uh, The UEFA have split up the Conference League and the Europa League into different weeks for some reason. So we couldn't quite land on what to cover. So I've just decided to put on my misery hat and go full misery guts and talk about the five most disappointing things from this season. So I'm going to start at number five and I'm going to start with Juventus. I I was actually going to put Leicester City here, but I was chatting this through with Dean yesterday and he said... Do you remember when you picked Juve to win the uh, Serie A title this season? Oh, yeah, I do, I do I remember that. I think I did as well, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, look, honestly, obviously I've completely and utterly misread Juventus this season. Um, had way too much faith in Max Allegri for a start. Um, and I did not give enough consideration to the the playing staff at his disposal. Definitely not the ageing defence Um, Of course, Federico Chiesa's torn ACL did not help at all. I think he might have been about 80% of the reason why I picked them in the first place. But again, I know it's Allegri and you have to understand that it's not often pretty when it's him, but damn Juventus, you have been awful to watch this season. Mm. Like the majority of the performances that I've seen have just been a shocking watch got very little personality on the ball, a really fragile defence and seemingly a team incapable of managing leads or situations or even 15-minute periods in games. And, you know, I think you ought, you understood that when you got to, to January and you spent 70 million plus on on Dusan Vlavic. And ultimately, he's had some high points, but he's come a step down from where he was at Fiorentina. His um, Capo Cagnonieri uh, chase with Chiro Mobile has been left in the dust on that. That's a bit of a shame, but... Well, I had some remarkable moments. I've been almost disappointed with kind of what they've done to my boy Dushan as well. So, you know, Juve, uh, they finished fourth again. Uh, fourth is not good enough for that team. Uh, they were mathematically out of the title race weeks ago. And I think they've been a disappointment here on, on several levels. Uh, not only did they kind of half ruin one of my favourite strikers in the game, but they've been a bit torturous to watch. And I've watched far too much of it.
1: Yeah,
3: I mean, they even messed up last night, didn't they? Like, they were 2-0 up, I think, last night. And they, they It still was a farewell
4: game. It. it was Dybala and Chiellini's farewell game. they 2-0 up against Lazio on Monday night. And they conceded, like, a 93rd-minute goal to Sergei Milinkovic-Savic to draw 2-2. Two, two. It's a bit, it's it fitting his it's farewell, farewell fitting. game, that, that stadium as well. He was saying hello. He was, <laughs> he's going to
0: be turning up <laughs> to replace all of these. Yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was quite frustrating, to be perfectly honest, as a watch. Um, because... You know, obviously, it was it was almost like Juventus was like, oh, we're just going to win this. Lazio going to just let us do this. And Lazio needed a point, basically, to secure themselves in the Europa League for next season. Um, And and but I don't understand why Juventus thought, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, we're doing some farewells. They'll just let us win this one. No problem. And they go up the end. They've got a four on three. They mess it up. Quadrado falls over, like, in this really bizarre passage of play. And Lazio just go up the other end of score. And it's like, uh like Juventus looked genuinely kind of like a bit bewildered that Lazio had the gall to do this to them. And I'm like, you well, are
4: asking the ref, is that, is that allowed? Are they allowed to do yeah. that?
0: And I was kind of watching it being like, obviously from a Fiorentina perspective, incredibly annoying. Um, but you know, from, from well, you'd numbers, already lost
4: four one to Samp mate. Come on.
0: Which was also incredibly annoying, but you know, there, there was always an element of that that you're looking at and going, well, what's happening here? Why, why is this happening? Um, and, and then you go to this thing and you're going, well, what are you doing? Like, why, why on earth have you done that? I didn't really make any. Sense. I mean, look, Fiorentina were going to catch Lazio anyway because of the head-to-head, but it was just one of those things where you were, you know, looking at it and thinking, very strange this, by mm-hmm, very, yeah. very strange way of playing this out that perhaps. You know, could have ended differently if Juventus had just switched on. And you know what? That is the story of the season. Like you're watching Juventus going, "What are you doing? Switch on, turn on."
4: Yeah, yeah. That's why it says inability to manage leads, manage periods of games. I mean, how will they managed to find themselves in that position in the 91st, 92nd minute when two-one up, I have. No clue, but it's been a, a common theme and my faith in Allegri has been shaken a little bit. My, my faith in, the, in this squad, for, for the most part, is pretty much non-existent. So I accept it was a misread from me to start with. I'm not saying, oh, they're disappointed because they should have won and they didn't. I misread that. But even yeah. still, by their own kind of disappointing standards, Juve have really got, really got to me this season for a number of reasons. Yeah. You
0: look at the Coppa Italia final, right? And Juventus have gone 2-1 up. From 1-0 down, they've gone 2-1 up in the Coppa Italia final. Quick fire salvo of goals. Really impressive, right? Juventus don't lose from that position. They don't. The Juventus, we know, do not lose from that position. Or they didn't used to, exactly. And yet, we saw them collapse against Inter in extra time, right? Yeah, obviously, there is the element of fatigue and, and this is a squad stretched a little bit and I appreciate all those things. But you just don't see... Juve in your head doing that a two one up you're like well they're going to win it again aren't they and then they go and you know they go and collapse and I do think it's it's intriguing to see what happens here because obviously Chiellini played his last game at home for Juventus last night it was very emotional then Dibala said a very emotional goodbye slight bone to pick and I like, I love the fact that Dibala is so emotional right I love the fact that he you know feels that deeply about the club you can't then sign for Inter. Like, you can't. If you feel that deeply (laughs) about Juventus, you simply cannot go and sign for Inter. It's just how it is. It's like crossing, we've said this before on the pod, it's like crossing the divide between Liverpool and Manchester United. You cannot cross the Derby-Ditalia divide if leaving Juventus is the thing that brings you to tears. It just doesn't make sense. It's (laughs) like it's not, it it doesn't add up. Things don't think. But, you know, that's by the by in, in many ways. It just felt like the whole thing. Just this is all changed now at Juventus, and two massive stalwarts, two people who wore the armband on the same night, leaving the club this
3: summer. There is a lot of rebuilding to do
4: here.
3: Yeah, definitely
4: disappointing. Definitely deserve to be on that list, mate. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay, right. I'll move to number four. Uh This is where I have conjoined Volsberg and Borussia Munchen Gladbach. <laughs> now I want to take you back about a year. To, where, to a time where the uh, the entirety of the top eight of the Bundesliga, bar Union Berlin, changed manager. I believe it was Bayern, Leipzig, Dortmund, Wolfsburg, Eintracht, Frankfurt, Leverkusen and Gladbach all changed managers. And looking back, at it, we were really excited about how it was all going to go. But I guess the natural odds are that some of those moves are going to be a success. And then as a byproduct of that, some of those moves just aren't going to work out whatsoever. Not every single one of those decisions can succeed. But... I guess I didn't have Gladbach and Wolfsburg falling and failing in the way that they did. And Gladbach hiring Adi Hütter from Eintracht Frankfurt and then going from 8th to 10th and definitely getting worse on the pitch and then firing Adi Hütter at the end of the season, that's extremely disappointing. And then Wolfsburg, they kind of had Oliver Glasner taken off them. Fine. Then they made a terrible appointment in Mark van Bommel. That went That went awfully. Then they hired Florian Kohfeldt. That went slightly less terribly, but still quite badly. And now he's been fired. And Wolfsburg have gone from fourth to 12th. And yeah, most most clubs use qualifying for the Champions League as a springboard, as a platform. Wolfsburg used it as a trapdoor to get significantly worse. It was absolutely bizarre. And We've had a couple of details at the end of the season, again, from from Derek Ray, you know, explaining maybe why Adi Hütter's time at Gladbach didn't really go to plan. But from Wolfsburg to go from 4th to 12th and Gladbach to hire a better manager and go from 8th to 10th was... uh, Yeah, didn't see that coming and has to go down as a disappointment. And I didn't want to just use Wolfsburg there because Gladbach Gladbach needed a mention too.
0: Yeah, it's a weird one. I I think this is it. The the Hütter thing has a little bit more backstory should we say to it and um, in that he was obviously promised lots of things that then didn't happen um and and i think that does make it quite difficult i think he was kind of promised a clear out he was promised you know that things would things would change ahead of his summer and then none of those things kind of came to fruition and and in that regard it's very difficult to look at it and think you know how are you supposed to come in and and make a real change if the things you were promised don't happen. And look, this happens to lots of managers. Um, it's it's a strange one to then go and sack him this summer because you felt like that clear out might genuinely come. Um, now, obviously, mm. they've got worse. and I think that's fair enough. And, but, you know, they're talking now about bringing Lucien Favre back to the club. And it just feels like everyone's on the same... Pattern, <laughs> same spiral, the same. Is Lucien Favre,
4: the ultimate stabilizer manager in yeah. world football right yeah, but, now. Anytime yeah, anybody's I mean, in, in a minor crisis, everyone's like, "Well, should we just appoint Lucien Favre? He'll sort it." Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, is he I though? Is he that? Don't is know, he that guy? I don't know, but people see him as that. Think so? I really people don't. just
4: seem to see him like that for some reason. I don't know. I mean, he is a steady dude, but yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm just not sure. I feel a bit sorry for him. I feel a bit sorry for Kofelt because. I think he came in and did steady the ship. Now, obviously it hasn't been brilliant. I agree with you. Um, and you look at, you know, where things are and how things pan out and it's all quite difficult. But he's been fired you know, as
4: well for what it's worth.
0: Yeah. I just feel like it's, a. it's just, a bit unfair. Like, I don't know if that's, <laughs> you know, if you look at, you go back to match day 10 where, you know, Wolfsburg were, and he won his first game, obviously against, against Leverkusen, two nil away. Everyone was going, okay, all right, this is, this is interesting. And they did move up from where they were, I, I think is the, is the truth of it, right? They, they weren't as bad under Kerfeld as they were under Van Bommel. Um, nice. Yes, it wasn't the jump up the league that perhaps they wanted, but they did, pulled themselves clear of uh, of the relegation scrap, which they were definitely in with Van Bommel at the helm. Um, they pulled mm. themselves away from from that. They were not ever in the European conversation, but it did feel like they'd steadied. I, I felt a bit sorry for Kerfelt because, especially because last week the clubs came out and said, "Yeah, he's going to be here for the near future," and then suddenly he was sacked.
4: <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of an odd <laughs> move. I mean, the, the the big disappointment here is that for Wolfsburg may have changed managers um, in the summer and then again in midseason, but there weren't. I wouldn't say there were that many changes to the to the squad and what they'd actually built beforehand and what glasner had put together was really impressive and there was about six or seven players here that i really really liked and you know the combination of like maxi arnold and zava schlager in midfield i loved we were all loving the emergence of uh lacroix at center back the full backs they've got you know reed lebaku and those guys that they're, they're they've got some really excellent players and they weren't they weren't short of striking talent either and we have and they have what we think is one of the most underrated goalkeepers in world football in Cohen Castelles as well. Like the talent is is not in short supply. So to end up down in twelfth, no matter what the scenario for these guys is 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 really tough to see and, and really tough to take and and really tough to understand given how good they had been and how solid they had been. A year before so that's why they ended up on this list
0: yeah well it's also why you know at the start of this thing we were talking about frankfurt who are managed by oliver glasner who are in a yeah Euro, i mean look Euro they haven't final, been all right they haven't been great but perfect. they have but they've gone back to being that really excellent cup team haven't they like mm. that's where yeah. it was so you do look at things and think mm, how's how's how are things going and i wasn't yeah. sure but it felt okay
4: well, the Europa League has kind of saved them in that respect, but yeah. Um, anywho, I'll move on to number three, and uh, we'll take a break from the clubs briefly, and we'll single in on a player. I decided to go with Romelu Lukaku at number three, and I decided to go with him rather than Chelsea, as I think kind of so much went wrong for Chelsea over the course of the season that there were almost enough mitigating factors to kind of to kind of excuse them from the scenarios. I mean, injury crisis in December. I think their entire central midfield, midfield went down, obviously almost impossible to deal with. We compared it at the time to when Liverpool lost all of their centre-backs. You know how that could break a club. Reese James has missed quite a lot of time this season. They've lost two cup finals on penalties and their Russian owner was sanctioned and their assets were frozen and they couldn't sell tickets at Stamford Bridge, which created a truly toxic atmosphere. Like To say that this season has been tough for Chelsea has been a massive understatement. But Lukaku you know is separate to a lot of those things and it's a separate conversation. Yes, the the injury side of things does filter in. He missed a full month in November. I think he missed basically the entirety of November and he looked what half fit at best in December. They were bringing him on for 45 minutes, 25 minutes. I think they were trying to nurse him back to fitness and he's basically out of action more or less at peak level for about 2 months. The main problem obviously for him though was his terrible terrible meshing and fit with Thomas Tuchel style. Lukaku wants that direct and quick pass out of the back. Tuchel wants to take an age to build slowly through his three centre-backs and into midfield. And you could see Lukaku showing for the ball, not receiving it, gesticulating, getting really annoyed. And then that happens 49 more times in a game. And, and, and Tuchel did very little to adjust to this, um, prioritize the team over getting Lukaku going. Now, as we speak here today, he has 13 goals for the season. If he got a brace at the weekend on the final day, yeah, he might get to a, a very, a, re- a relatively respectable 15. But he was signed for like £100 million. And he was signed with the intention of putting Chelsea on City and Liverpool's level. And it just hasn't happened. Now, notice that we're talking disappointments here. I've not called Lukaku a flop. I think there are enough mitigating circumstances on his side to really excuse him from that tag. I think it's been tough for him. But you can't get away from this season and not think that this is a huge disappointment that Lukaku hasn't caught fire and led Chelsea to something a bit better than 70-odd points in the league again. Mm. Yeah, look,
3: he's absolutely gutted. Like, speak to someone who's close to him and he genuinely is so disappointed at the way things have gone for him. And and you've you've, you've nailed it in terms of like the style of play. He just wants them to be a bit more open-minded about the style of football when he's on the pitch. It doesn't suit him doesn't make any sense that you would sign him for £97.5 million and then play a style of football that isn't going to get the best out of him. He was just coming in on the back of a title-winning season with Inter Milan where he had been top goal scorer. He was so confident, so happy. And he was keen to come back and prove to everybody who he was, what he was, what he could do in the Premier League. And his start wasn't too bad, but he obviously went off the boil. Yeah, he went off the boil. And then obviously his interview around Christmas... Killed him a bit, and he was advised not to do that interview and he and he did it and it's taken him a long time to come back from that. You know he's had a couple of good games recently, and there's signs there and you know the message I got the other day I did a story on it was that he wants to stay at Chelsea for next season um they'll have a discussion end of the season um about how things are going to go ultimately it's going to be very hard for Chelsea to get their money back on him anyway um, there will be opportunities for him elsewhere PSG and Inter Milan are both um you know registering interest already but yeah he has been a disappointment Chelsea have been a disappointment but this might still be something that they can overcome like they've just got to stop being stubborn in terms of the style of play it's not like the style of play that Tuchel's played has been successful anyway like by and large, like particularly I mean, at they home. They win the Champions League. But at home, they've been, you know, what has they got a 50% win record or something? Like it's been poor. So um there are definitely adjustments I think that Tuchel can make. I mean, I, I'm not really the guy to be I think Thomas Tuchel had to coach, but um, <laughs> ultimately um something hasn't gone right there because Lukaku is a goal scorer and he hasn't been scoring goals or playing.
0: Yeah, I think this is, that's fair. I mean, look, Tuchel will have his critics and this season hasn't gone to plan for Chelsea, but I think most he will fall back on the fact that he's got to two finals, come third, um, won the Champions League last year. He, he would point to it and say, Yes, maybe I'm. But there is an element of that that you go, Is, is Tuchel a knockout manager? Is he the kind of manager that, that, that thrives in those situations? Is there a little bit of the old, not in the same way and not in the same kind of stylistic manner, but in the old Simeone about him, in that, mm. you know, his, his style and that kind of controlling games, low scoring games suits knockout football maybe more than it suits league football. Yeah. Um, that's a the conversation I think that can be had. Now, I don't think that means that in any stretch of the imagination that he's not a brilliant coach, not a top, you know, top, top coach, not a world-class coach. But there is an element of that, that you have to work out how that stylistic matchup works. And if Chelsea want to challenge for Leeds, uh, challenge for the Premier League title, then they're going to need to 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 address that. And like you say, that win percentage at home has been, so so poor um, for Chelsea standards that I think that you do have to consider how how you know those kind of ways of playing and how they fit compared to the players you have at your disposal. Now I'd imagine there's going to be a massive overhaul at Chelsea as well this summer. Um, we're going to talk about overhauls a little bit later in the summer in a, in a different episode. Um, but you know, right now it just feels a bit like there should be a way of making this work and. You know, it's it's a weird one because obviously of you know the Chelsea before this whole season and the whole of this you know ownership debacle and all of the things that have happened would have moved managers on for not bringing a star signing into play, right? Would have moved away from managers in order to accommodate a player who they'd brought in for this amount of money. Um And I do think it's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea go forward under new ownership, given that that has been a model for so long. Yeah, that's fair. Sam, do you want to move us on to the next one then, me?
4: Yeah, so into number two, and I'll go for Paris Saint-Germain. Look, there are several strands to this, and I want to be very careful to make sure it's more than just your stereotypical they didn't win the Champions League argument. So let's get that done really quickly. They didn't win the Champions League. They're still waiting. <laughs> um, after 75% of a two-legged tie against Real Madrid, they were 2-0 up. They should have won that game. But football is cruel. And it is complex. And as Man City, Real Madrid. City found real Madrid. Out, uh, yeah. And as Man City found out, you can actually lead a, a two-legged tie for 98% of it and still not win. So PSG are not drinking alone at the bar here. Man City have unfortunately joined them. For me, the real disappointment with PSG this this season has been their use or probably misuse of uh at least three of the summer signings. You know, the summer signings that we were were so excited about and you know, Leo Messi in his six league goals as we as we speak today, it, it did feel like he hit the woodwork a lot, and his assist tally looks pretty good. And actually, his goals plus assists per ninety are pretty strong. But six goals from twenty five appearances in league are—it's just flawed me. It really has, and no matter how you kind of dress it up, this season for Leo Messi at the Part the Prance has been has just been a major disappointment. No two ways about it. Um, Sergio Ramos, possibly the most pointless signing of last summer, Uh, two appearances in the first half of the season because he was clearly still injured from, well, the last appearance he made in football, which was for Real Madrid when he was clearly injured and limped around and lost. Um, He hasn't made that many appearances since. This felt like a massive waste of time, to be quite honest with you. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens next season, but... I just, I just, I just can't believe really that they bothered to shell out that money for him in terms of a wage if he was going to make so little impact over the course of the season. And Genie Wijnaldum, did PSG watch any of his games for Liverpool or the Netherlands? Mm-hmm. You'd think they would. You'd think they did, but they didn't appear to be remotely aware of his strengths or weaknesses when he actually arrived and started playing for PSG this season. So thinking back, we got very excited about this Hall of Players. These three, Hakimi, Nunamensch, Gigi Donnarumma. What a haul. But you know, in your heart of hearts, even when you're sat there calling it the best window ever, that they're not all <laughs> going to be successes and it's not going to be the success that it looks like on paper. But PSG have got frighteningly little out of all of these players, bar the wingbacks Nunamensch yeah, and I Hakimi so has had a phenomenal season. They've been fine. They've been fine, yeah. But bar, bar those four out of six, they've just got very, very little out of. So I guess in a way, this disappointment also extends to Mauricio Pochettino, who is yeah. of course, it is his job to get the best out of these players. And mm. watching PSG has been a very confusing exercise this season.
3: Yeah. And that's the biggest dif- difficulty for him being there, isn't it? Like, you're managing a team of all-stars and you're managing them in a league that they don't fit in ultimately like they are you know I don't want to be too down on on lego as a whole but like these players are far better 9 weeks out of 10 than their opponents and it comes more about character and like teams have to dig in and all, all this kind of stuff and so for players like messi to to have their moment to to build those bonds with Neymar and Mbappe which you know he did do like Messi has built um you know an awareness with them and an understanding but like not on the level he would have been able to do if one of those players would have been with him at Barcelona like as we saw with him and Neymar at Barcelona if Mbappe had joined him at a Camp Nou and you'd have seen a completely different relationship able to come to life than what you've been able to see at PSG and so, yeah, it is kind of Pochettino's fault, but I feel like almost anybody would struggle to get this group of players to gel in Liga because it's just not really equipped for it. Um, so it's been a tricky one. Sergio Ramos has been an absolute mystery. Like, what on earth has gone on there? I totally agree. Donnarumma got in the team of the year, didn't he? So his best goalkeeper. Yeah, of right? <laughs> seven,
4: 17 appearances. 17 yeah. appearances in the league and he got in the team. Everyone is floored by that. Totally, but yeah, I mean PSG. As you say,
3: you open it by saying you have to address the fact that didn't make it in the Champions League again, and they are the ones that want to get there. So, like, it's their own ceiling that they're putting on it, and they're not hitting it. So, we've got to say they're disappointing.
0: Yeah, I think that's completely fair enough. i um, completely fair enough. We're we're looking at this and thinking, you know, they've they've got They've retaken the title. They've regained the title, which is something, and it needs to be addressed because. Ultimately, I think people forget about that because PSG lost the title last year. You know, Lille came and, and won it and, and took it away from them, a, a title that's been theirs for so many years. Um, so you're looking at it and thinking, OK, first job, first port of call is to go and win the title. But I think a lot of PSG fans have been disappointed with, you know, these, these players and, and, and how the team is being run. And, and, and maybe they want something different. It seems to me that that's the case, that they're looking for something that isn't this. You know, it's mm. been a, a Les Galactiques, it was called, right? The, the remake of the Galacticos from so many years ago. But, you know, ultimately, the Galacticos didn't really work either. Like, mm. they're, they're, let's be honest about it. Like, there are elements of this that don't hugely work. And we've seen it again here. And I've, you know, when PSG fans are sitting there asking for the fact that and, and saying that they want to change things and, 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 see something different and bring back the likes of christopher and kunku who obviously left for pastures new having come through a psg and they're saying you know get rid of some of these superstars and, and and let's build a cohesive team you can completely understand where they're coming from because mm. you know ultimately it hasn't worked and the experiment has failed this season and i don't think any you know anyone in their right mind will tell you that it hasn't
2: yeah it's very totally tough
0: to make
4: that. that argument, isn't it? I know they've won mm. league 1, but like it's pretty, it's pretty tough to to look at this PSG side and figure out, you know, for the most part, what the plan is. Um, they've ended up with I this think many points,
0: unconvin- even though they won, you know, league They they were unconvincing.
4: Yeah, it's like, basically totally. Mbappe has Mbappe has essentially had an unbelievable season and has <laughs> and has struck I don't know ten different times to maybe earn uh, thirty points or something, and you know. Obviously, it's an eleven v eleven game. There are obviously good performances elsewhere in that. But if Mbappe hadn't had an otherworldly season, otherworldly season, then I don't actually know where these guys would be. But they've they've got they've got one title.
0: Mm. Yes, they have a title. They have a title, uh, which
4: takes us nicely on to say I'm onto number one. Number one, <laughs> you didn't think we'd get through a pod about disappointments and not mention Manchester United, did you? <laughs> not a chance. Not a chance. I yeah. mean, from from top to bottom, obviously disappointing is is the word for it. And like with PSG and like with a few others here, you, you can choose pretty much any angle you want here from performance levels to tactics to how the new signings did to the managerial change. But something that's been kind of bugging me over the last two to three months that I almost kind of want to get off my chest um, is the human element of Manchester United's disappointing season. And like, first of all, I really hated the way that they handled Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, I think by October, it had become pretty obvious that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was out of his depth as manager of Manchester United. They lost 5-0 to Liverpool in one of the worst performances I have ever seen at Premier League level relative to the talent on the pitch available to United. And Solskjaer was was just sat there and he looked confused and he looked numb and he didn't know what to do. And the time had come, hadn't it? The time had come to just let the man go. He'd played the part that he was able to play, that he was capable of playing for Manchester United in their journey, but they left him there. They left him in there to get absolutely schooled by another fierce rival, Manchester City, in a game where United couldn't get the ball off their opponents. Then the supporters turned on him. There was always a, a divide in the in the fan base on you know Oli in, Ollie out, and even even his most staunch supporters basically turned on him. Turned on him at that point. And in those two weeks, the amount of vitriol I saw directed towards him was almost beyond belief. And I've been on Twitter a long time, over a decade, and I've, I've received my own fair share of vitriol. And, and what Ollie was facing there was absolutely disgraceful. And they left him there. They just left him there. And he lost 4-1 to Watford and was reduced to tears as they finally relieved him of his duties. He'd probably had the worst month of his entire life. And they'd left him there as a sitting duck and they'd refused to put him out of his misery and take him out of the firing line. I, I just couldn't believe the way that they had treated the club legend that, that way. And then they did it with Harry Maguire. And this has been bugging me for weeks as well, guys, bugging me for weeks. I spent the last couple of months like, really worried about Harry Maguire and his, his kind of mental health and you know, where he is personally, because they also made him a sitting duck. I think this season we've seen United lack a real sense of when to take someone out of the firing line and to take them out of the glare of the spotlight. And Harry Maguire has got worse and worse and worse. And at some point, someone should have turned around and gone, maybe we should take him out of the team for a couple of weeks. Maybe he's not quite in the right headspace because we know he's better than this. He's four times the player than the one he's showing right now, and they did nothing. And just by chance yesterday, when I was, I was thinking about this, I happened to do a, a little, a little uh, Google search for Manchester United and mental health. You know what comes up? Manchester United launch an academy mental health awareness program for the month of March. And they encourage and uh, uh, encourage the conversation around mental health amongst its players and its staff. There was a picture of one footballer picked from the senior staff to stand outside of Manchester United's academy and hold up a giant sign advertising this. Guess which, pic- which player it was. Harry Maguire. Of uh, all the people... This I just I felt a sickening amount of irony there Mm. creeping forward and it it made me feel really quite ill for a moment just because I thought this is a guy more than anyone else on this playing staff employed by this football club was suffering from this exact thing that you've got him stood outside in the academy with a giant sign advertising. Really bad. And they're off to a bad start on the new era, guys. You know, I, I did not like reading what Eric Ten Hag had to say on Monday. About sharing the IAX title with Mark Overmars. I did not like reading those comments. Again, we talk about we have this phrase, read the room, don't we? And United have been walking around it blindfolded with their hands and their fingers in their ears for the last year or so. They just miss cue after cue after cue. It doesn't it doesn't just pertain to off-field stuff. Obviously, they've been they've been pretty poor. Dean, you pointed at their goal difference in the table yesterday to me and compared it to Manchester City's. There's about a 75 goal difference there. They're way off where they should be. This feels like a universally difficult squad to manage. We have confirmed dressing room leaks. They made a bad decision bringing in Rangnick and trying to fit in with a badly assembled squad that doesn't suit him. United have just been... I I can't even... I don't even know where to go with it. But they had to be number one. And I had to get a few things off my chest, particularly with Maguire, because I just hate how it's panned out. Yeah, it's obviously been a complete shambles. And, I mean, you
3: look back across the season and you're like, well, who has done well? And in the end, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. He has done well and he's saved them in moments and he's kept them even in European contention, to be honest with you. It's David De Gea, a guy who's been questioned again and again and again and bounced back again and again and again and probably get a new contracts and is, continues to be a star. And then beyond that, like look fred's actually done okay this season like i know he gets a lot of stick but fred's actually had a reasonable <laughs> season um yeah, elanga fred, obviously fred's good yeah Don't fred is that. good like he gets a lot of stick but he's, fred's good they just need a right midfield partner yeah <laughs> elanga's obviously emerged and has, has kind of been a breath of fresh air for the fan base um beyond that like you're really scratching around saying well sancho's done all right um Matic. Has he? But he also hasn't been really given the platform to, no, to do a, all right. No, he hasn't. That's why I give Sancho the benefit. I give Sancho the benefit of The doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, think Matt, I think Matic did all right, to be honest, when they had to call on him. I thought
4: Matic was one of the more reliable Matic performers. Will, Matic
3: will never let you down. But, he, yeah. he, but well, no, he but will he let you down. playing for United if, at this point. He's, he's actually will let to you leave. down.
4: He'll let you down if, he, if you play him for more than 60 minutes because he just hasn't got in him. Like, he can play yeah. for 60 and then you've got to take him off. And that's yeah. it. And that's 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 where they fall to. When they're like, oh, we're gonna have to turn to Matic again. He said like, he literally can't play ninety minutes. Well, this he is a do problem because
0: the squad is just built so badly that like it doesn't really make any sense. And like you know, Rangnick hasn't done huge amounts. Really I thought he would have done more. Um, yeah, me too. What he what he has done is called it out. And <laughs> I don't know whether this is good or bad or indifferent. To be honest, but there is a level that I'm watching Rangnick just say stuff, and I'm like. Well, at least someone's saying it. Like, at least somebody's making the point that this is not sustainable. That this is not a feasible squad. And look, you know, I, I didn't like Eric Ten Hag's comments either, Sam. I think that was it was it was it was a very very strange set of discussions to be had. But the overmaster stuff sickened me. But ultimately, he said some things from a football perspective that were interesting in in this regard. And he said, "I took on Manchester United because it's a challenge." Not because I, he's, I had offers from clubs in better places, um, clubs who, um, you know, in, in a better place right now, who are set to kick on in a quicker manner. But I wanted the challenge of going to Manchester United. Now, one, there's an element of bravery in that. But two, you know, at least he understands the task ahead of him. He's like, this is going to be dreadful, Like we're going to have to work through this. Um <laughs> And I suppose that's a start. Like, I think for a long time, people have refused to acknowledge the fact that there is so much work to do that people come in and be like, yeah, the squad's quite good here. Like, And you do look at it on paper and you go, yeah, okay, fine. But actually what you're looking at is a squad that is completely and utterly like disparate. That doesn't make sense from a squad building perspective. Um, And at at least Ten Hag has started to acknowledge that before he comes in, because I think it's important to do so. It can't be like, oh no, I'll just work it out. Like these players haven't been coached properly, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a massive, massive exercise Mm. and maybe the biggest rebuild in world football Mm. right now.
3: Yeah I mean what do you say it's been a disappointing season just running through some of the results in the last two months they lost 4-0 at Brighton last time out and the players are literally being told like you're not fit to wear the shirt
0: Brighton's record win in the Premier League should like not be coming as Manchester United
3: the, they had that 1-1 draw with Chelsea which was actually almost unwatchable um they lost 3-1 at Arsenal before that that was an absolute shambles some of the defending involved there they have beaten 4-0 by Liverpool the game before that. A couple of games before that, uh, they've beaten 1-0 by Everton, who are one of the worst teams in the Premier League this season. And a couple of games before that was that Atletico Madrid defeat at home, which, well, kind of summed up their season and put them exactly put them in place for like, you, sh- you shouldn't be in this competition anyway, to be honest. So let's just end this. Um, it's been an absolute shambles. They might as well have left Michael Carrick in charge for the rest of the season, to be honest. It would have probably gone better. Um, They've gained very, very little by this interim appointment, if anything, Um, and they have to get it right now. Like Ten Hag, I'm not convinced it's the right answer because I don't know what is the right answer. But like this is, you have to say it's a gamble. It's a good coach, yeah, but like this isn't Ajax. This is Man United, and this is a group of players that for everybody else has been almost unmanageable. So this is the biggest job in world football right now. Good luck. Good luck.
0: <laughs> good luck is, is all I can say. All I can say. Good, good luck, luck. Eric Hag, And um, there's a lot of work, a lot of work to do at Manchester United. Um, Sam, that brings us to the end of the ranking. Thank you very much. Um, any honourable mentions? I you mentioned Leicester City at the top.
4: Yeah, Leicester. But we we did cover Leicester just a, a little bit uh, last week, Everton. when we talked about Yuri Tielemans. Everton. We considered, um, but actually, Jack and I were, were we're pretty hot on this, didn't we? weren't we Coming into the season, we didn't like the Rafa Benitez appointment, and we we I we, I think we said uh, Everton are coming into this season under a black cloud, and they need to be very careful. And as it stands, it looks like they're probably going to scrape clear. Um, but I guess in the end, it was like it was. I think the omens were there. Um, so Leicester were my number five I don't know if last night were, uh, on Monday night watching Juventus just throw that away just kind of twigged something a little bit in my mind this morning and made the switch but um, yeah Leicester yeah. Leicester and Everton I, I definitely, definitely shouts I don't like to throw this one in because I like him but Jesse Marsh uh, kind of
3: probably deserves a mention after what happened at Leipzig and Leeds might yet go down so like if if those are his two jobs for this season you'd have to say like that would be a massive disappointment because I thought he would do well at Leipzig and it didn't go well and Leeds I thought he'd keep up so keep him up for sure and if that doesn't happen (laughs) it's it's a bad season yeah Yeah, not great not great I still like him like I still I still rate him too but like that is a disappointing season
0: Yeah, a couple couple for me. Sassuolo, I thought they've been a really weird team. They are the Robin Hood of Serie A. They steal from the rich and give to the poor. Um, (laughs) But I think there was enough talent in that squad. And I like their manager, Denise. Um, I I thought there was enough talent to be challenging for the European spots. Um, They've come up sort of 10 points odd short. Uh, of doing so, it's not the end of the world. I don't think they need to be right in this list, but I think they've been disappointing uh, in, in general. Lille a little bit. I know there are you know circumstances which do kind of make this mm. a little bit more easy to take, but I still think you go to go from champions to tenth in the table is always going to rack up. Um, I, I think an element of, of disappointment. Um, so so yeah, they would they would be my two.
4: And uh, honestly, the two Lisbon sides as well, to an extent. I mean, I'm just looking at the table and Sporting do have 85 points, to be fair to them. So maybe maybe just Benfica, who have been really off colour this season for a lot of it. Very, very strange season for Benfica. But Sporting, of course, were defending champions and, and they, they have it has felt like they have taken a step back this season. Although Porto have won with a record point, tally, so maybe I am too harsh. But certainly Benfica there. Um,
1: yeah, it very, felt like Benfica's...
4: It felt like Benfica's Champions League run covered up a
0: little bit of the deficiencies back home. Um, mm. and, and actually, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think it probably can. We talk about this a lot, that league tables are the best harbinger of, of where you are as a club, right? Of, of where you are moving forward. Um, because knockout competitions are knockout competitions. Um, and ultimately, mm. if you look at that, I think you have to, you have to consider this Benfica season, season a, a well, failure.
4: Well, they 17 points off Porto. Is that okay? I'd imagine it's not okay.
0: No, it would be. It would be a no from me. A no from me. Mm. Um, Right. With that, I think we are going to leave this ranking behind and move on to our final segment. So stay with us. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for everybody's favorite part of the week. Dean
3: Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. Now this week's melon of the week is Salomon Rondon. Obviously. <laughs> he, <laughs> of course. He's not a melon, is. this
4: is iconic.
3: Oh it, my god. It? it could be everyone that we've mentioned for this uh, in the episode so far, couldn't it? <laughs> it could be actually. Yeah, that's a good point. It's been a melon episode, isn't it? Um look, Rondon obviously plays for Everton, came on as a f- 84th minute substitute against Brentford at the weekend. At the time Everton were 3-2 down. They had 10 men and they were in desperate need of an equaliser to salvage a point in their fight against relegation. So Rondon comes on to save the day. Or not. Um, He was sent off for a reckless tackle. Two minutes later, two minutes, he flies into Rico Henry with both feet off the ground, catches him on the shin. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, It means that he's shown a red card. Everton are down to nine men. The chances of a comeback are dead. Um, he's issued an apology since and saying he always gives his all and he apologizes, but it's not really enough. doesn't help Frank Lampard, that's for sure. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry, Rondon, but that is proper melon behavior. Yeah, absolutely. This is vintage melon. I like, had so many messages about this, like, well, you there know, you go, melon. Yeah, and all. exactly.
0: Like, you know when you see something,
3: you're like, oh. It's
0: yeah. a, a nailed-on melon. It's a nailed-on it it, it, melon. It's quite
3: handy in a way when stuff like that happens because you don't even have to consider any other contenders. But, um, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Like, he's done now. He's suspended. So he's seen
2: it. Presumably,
4: yeah. um, Frank Lampard asked him to just go and sit with all the other Everton players who were suspended, which is like the entire squad, seemingly. That's <laughs> like what six, you need. six, six, six red cards or something under Lampard's tenure? Five or six red cards? Well, this is because... Like, I, Is this because like he's a
3: passion merchant? Like, he's not, there's not much coaching going (laughs) on, is there? It's about like fight for the shirt, fight for your right to stay up, like win your tackles, do this. Like, he's kind of what he does, isn't it? It's like all I never thought I'd see
4: the day where Dean Jones called someone a passion merchant. He Um, he is, isn't he? Because that's vintage.
3: That's what he gets out of people. And it can work. Like, it has worked for him at times. Chelsea, that's kind of. We turned things around for a bit, but it's not working here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
0: <laughs> that is the gibberish alarm, Sam.
4: What you got for us? Yeah, it's more barley content, guys. Oh, more barley content. Sake. Oh wow! I, I went for three weeks. It's my you know, my life was just full of things content you miss about barley, t- right? Content, the wind, the, the but... Yeah, unbelievable. So last week is it your favorite? Is it your
0: favorite types of um, like growing crops?
4: Uh, I can tell you right now, it's not my favorite types of growing. Because barley could be number one. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good one, good one. Um, No, it's not that. Last week was three odd things from barley, and this week it's going to be three silly stories. And then I promise we're done with barley. Anyway, funny things, silly stories. At number three, dogs versus monkeys. Did I mention this to you, boys, uh, off microphone at any point? I'm not sure if I did, but um, yeah, I heard it. Yeah. You
0: mentioned that yeah. there was loads of dogs, but I didn't hear. Yeah, about them I mean, there's loads monkeys. of dogs,
4: and there are loads of monkeys. Um, but at one point, I saw a pack of dogs attempt to take on a pack of monkeys. Um, they were fighting over food, and by food, I mean discarded human rubbish on the edge of a forest. So the monkeys had come out to look for food, and the dogs were quite interested as well. There were two adult dogs and one slightly smaller one, and then about seven or eight monkeys on the other side there were a couple of them were quite small as well. They were in like full-on Mexican standoff mode, just growling at each other. The, pack, the, 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 sh- the bag was in the middle and they were sort of equidistant from the bag, sort of squaring off with one another, both wanting the food. I didn't get to see the engagement because we were driving past. I didn't see any actual action, but yeah. I've been wondering since, like, who wins the fight? Let's call it two and a half dogs versus seven monkeys.
0: How and many the monkeys, monkeys are
4: children? I think like, Two were were children. So it's like five full-grown
0: monkeys versus two full-grown dogs.
4: Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Who's winning that?
0: How big are the monkeys in Bali,
4: Sam? So the monkeys are probably, um, I'd go with uh, 40 centimetres to half a metre tall. Mm, Okay. They're not that big.
0: Mm. Yeah, they're quite small little felons.
4: Yeah, but they Um, are quite, you know, they're quite swiping. The dog's
0: quite scrawny.
2: The i can imagine these scrawny, dogs are quite yeah.
0: scrawny, but those kind of yeah. dogs are like proper scrapper dogs, aren't they? They're like they're willing to like fight tooth and nail for everything. I bet the dogs. I think. Yeah, I they're back fighting back the tooth dogs. and
4: nail for everything, man. Yeah, I think it's absolutely dogs. everything. I think probably the dogs too, but I wish I'd seen. I wish I'd seen it. Um, no one, no one around looked particularly like concerned. I think this might happen quite a lot. Um, I suppose if you have that many dogs and that many monkeys around all the time, it's just bound to happen. But uh, dogs v monkeys was the fight I didn't expect to see. It's a bit like um, giant shark versus giant octopus, isn't it? Uh, Michael Bay's latest masterpiece, but uh, just on a more local level. Mm. Uh, Quite interesting. (laughs) 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 Number two, you cannot trust the menus. Now, there are some places in Bali that apparently just do not consider any kind of food allergy or or take it as seriously as maybe they should. It doesn't affect me because I don't have any, fortunately, but I did come away from a couple of places thinking, not a lot of care taken there. I ordered a chocolate brownie for dessert once, for example, and there was a picture of the brownie in the menu uh, and it came and it looked completely different. It was full of nuts and no one mentioned anything. I thought, that's not great, is it? Like, that's... I don't know Uh, about that, particularly for children or something. Or Dylan's Um, allergic to nuts. Yeah, that would be... um, Yeah, no mention of it in the text, nothing in the picture, just a little bit dangerous. But that wasn't the worst one or the most shocking one. There was one day where we sat down at this incredible cliffside restaurant and it was overlooking one of the active volcanoes on the island. It looked really fancy. Um, It was part of like a day trip thing. And we were on the set menu. And for the starter, we basically had to order the traditional Balinese soup which, to be fair, looked lovely. And I will now list for you the ingredients that were written down for this traditional Badanese soup. Chili, tomato, shallot, noodle. That's it. Four ingredients. And there was a picture of the soup. And it's a noodle soup, right? The sort of thing you mm-hmm. get in pho or whatever, in Vietnamese stuff. And I thought, great. Yeah. And then it arrived. They had added one extra ingredient, fairly major, I would argue, that was not mentioned on the menu, and it was not in the picture. What do we think it was? Squid. Close.
1: You don't <laughs> like fish, do <geezer>. Sam?
4: <laughs> one entire fish. Just one entire fish just dumped into the soup. Just, just dumped the a fish in
1: it. Are
0: you sure it yeah, just not just swim it. in? Like in the big vat or whatever they have of
4: it. It just gone for a little dip. What kind oh, of fish? Um, well, I'm not good on my fish because I don't like, I like it. Like a gray but... fish. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it was, it, so it had all the bones and everything, like the rib, the ribs and stuff or whatever it is there. Like it was like a full, a full fish. One fish. Are you fish, sure you're not meant bonk. to
0: just eat around it? Like it's like a fish flavoring.
4: So basically, like, and you know what people always say? You know, I don't usually do this and I don't usually do this, but I did have to call the waitress over and be like, sorry, what's this? Like, what, why is there a fish in my soup? She's like, oh yeah, yeah, there's a fish in my soup. It's like, I got her to bring the menu back over. And then I pointed at the menu and said, at literally nowhere on this menu does it say fish. And it's not in the picture. Why is there a fish in this? I don't like fish. I don't want this soup. Yeah. And she was like, oh my God. I was like, that, and like, ultimately people are allergic to, to fish as well. And like, I was just I was seeing a trend and I was a bit like, I do need to bring this to her attention. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And anyway, she went
0: to barley and turned into Karen.
3: I, <laughs>
4: <laughs> I argued I argued with her for a bit and then I said, Look, I don't want this, just whatever. And I'll I'll just wait for my main. I'm not gonna eat my starter. She said, Okay, really sorry. Came back a few minutes later, offered me pumpkin soup, said no, don't want that. Um, pumpkin said, okay, soup is fine.
0: delicious. Love
4: pumpkin it. soup. Didn't want it. And then uh, come back a few minutes later and had bought me the same soup, but with chicken in it. So, yeah, fine. I'll eat that. Whatever. She was so apologetic. She was insisted on making me some kind of starter. But uh, I was very, 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 very shocked to find an entire fish dumped into my soup when it was not on the menu whatsoever.
1: Yeah. What I a shot
4: from
3: your face. I can imagine yeah, your not, face. Yeah. Not very That's nice. It. Dean, it you'd have been fine with it. But yeah, not me. Anyway, like, number I just, one, I like fish. I would have just quietly yeah. put it on the side or something. Yeah, I would have been like, "This is going to flavour the soup." I'm probably yeah. not going to eat find it one of the dogs it. or monkeys and fed it to them.
4: <laughs> Chuck it <laughs> out. It was, you say, it was
0: cliffside Sam. This restaurant, cliffside. Yeah, Chuck it off the cliff. Just, you should have <laughs> chucked it. It would have. It would have probably swum away. Frisbee.
4: Yeah, yeah nice. Um, okay, Friend the volcano. Oh, no, I have definitely haven't got that big an arm, Dean. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was miles away. Um, anywho. Number one, we're calling this the Naughty Nuri's Toilet Fiasco. Uh, Naughty Nuri's might be the best ribs joint on the planet. Absolutely incredible. There's a barbecue front and center at the restaurant where they're cooking them. And you walk in and you can just smell it. And honestly, just just the most incredible ribs I've ever, ever had. Um, No issue with the food here. Absolutely none whatsoever. Small issue, though, with the toilet. Toilets in Bali are a bit hit and miss. Sometimes they're more like holes on the floor and sometimes the locks don't really work. And on this occasion, it was the latter. Um, And I was stood at the toilet. It was a cubicle style thing, but like one of the bigger cubicles that has its own sink. And I was going for number one, let's say, and the toilet lock failed as some poor woman walked into the cubicle and saw everything. And um, didn't really bother me. I thought it was really funny. But you know, you get this kind of like, uh, I don't know, you almost get like a meet, the, 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 the built up perception of, let's say, like in anime, where they sort of portray Asian schoolgirls or Asian women as quite, quite sque- squeamish, or, or, or they, they squeered, or they scream, or they're like quite easily spooked. Mm. And you think, no, nah, that's such a stereotype. This woman stopped in her tracks, eyes went wide, hands clasped over her mouth, screamed, and bolted. She oh. legged it. She actually just turned and ran, went 0 to 60 quicker than Alfonso Davies and legged it out of the toilet. And oh, I just yeah. laughed. I just thought it was really, really, really funny that anyone could be that scared. But she was. It was a terrifying experience I mean, for
3: that's her. That's not a great sight, is it? Seeing a woman run screaming out of a toilet that you're in?
4: No. No. I've no, seen anyone running out of a that's toilet. That's not a good look it's not really, a great look so really great vibes uh, it was the toilet lock's fault uh unfortunately yeah. but um Balinese Gosh. toilets hit or miss to say the least
3: yeah Okay. It, yeah thailand i saw a few things like that which i can relate to so um it's part of the experience you know if you're going to go into different <laughs> cultures you got to exp- you've got to experience new things and that's part of taking you out of your comfort zone sir so.
0: absolutely (laughs) absolutely right putting it
3: lightly (laughs) I think that's
0: I think that's enough on toilets Uh, I think that's enough for an episode if I'm being perfectly honest with you all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai cheers mate Thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. Thank you so much for listening as ever. Please do go and check out our YouTube channel if you want to see more on the Europa League. And we will be back next week to talk about maybe the Champions League final, you might imagine. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and...